Episode 6 of High Fantasy, a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. We also have the Dresden Files podcast and 42 and Shylock's Gaming and other stuff. We'll plug more at the end, but our bumper broke, so whatever. So Yes, our bumper broke. I have no idea why it broke, but right. it definitely broke. So here we are. Today, we have uh, all three normal people plus a guest named Jer. So say hi, everyone. Hello. Hey guys. Howdy. All right. Let's start with our progress since the last episode. What has everyone accomplished this week? Two weeks. Uh, I'd say about ten pages, uh, which is low for me. It's been a rough uh, couple of weeks, but it was one of those funny things. I was looking through my progress and realized, oh look, I've spent forty pages in one location. <laughs> so I'm like, hmm. Well, I got to expand some other things to make up for this. I uh, actually wrote this past couple weeks um, because our previous guest, John, he started beta reading all my stuff and that just like, I need to write more now that I have ton of motivation for my military story. So I actually wrote 4,200 words and I felt really awesome about it. Nice. That also also reminds me, I wrote the first Uh, couple of pages for my new story or my side story. Nice. Yeah. I accidentally hit the number and ruined my show the well my word count but i set a thousand word goal for the past two weeks uh the past two weeks has been more than 10 days so i didn't meet it but wow. it came out so i did i got a couple of 2000 word days in there 15000 word days there and then of the past 15 16 days i got about 10000 words done so i'm happy that's pretty that's good all. i felt accomplished until you showed me that <laughs> It's been my most pr- productive week for like two years now. Oh, maybe this is working then. All right, Jeremy, tell us who you are, what your successes have been, and what you have to share. Yeah, so, um, well, successes, I mean, that's that's always a very subjective question, you know. You, you, you keep creating things and you keep moving on, and that's, uh, you know, success in itself. So, um, but... Um, now, I just recently, I mean, I have a science fiction novel, just recently came out. It's kind of the harder side of science fiction called Final Solution. It's been going pretty good. It's, you know, based on all kinds of sort of, you know, real physics and stuff. However, um, you know, I tried to make the crew and, and the situation a lot more interesting. It's kind of a political thriller in a way. But, uh, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I've written all kinds of stuff, high fantasy, flintlock fantasy sort of stuff mostly, which I'm revisiting here on my next project, but right now I'm writing some sort of weird uh, speculative fiction thing that I'm not really talking too much about, but, you know, it's going to be really good. So, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, so it's one of two. Awesome. So uh, I guess we can move into our topic of this episode, and the topic is dialogue uh, and how the fuck do you write it. (laughs) Apparently this is a problem for, like, most people when they're writing, so it's going to be hopefully really helpful for everyone. Yeah, my my big issue with dialogue is trying to find a different tongue for everybody. So you you, know, you want people when they read the dialogue to say, "Oh, that's this person." And that's just hard for me. I'll go back and reread things. And I'm like, "Wow, this here's like for the same person here." So I like go back and rewrite the dialogue. I have the idea for the dialogue, but the execution is really tough. I'm yeah, I don't know. Keep going, Colin. I'm bad enough that like I'll be writing a scene and having people talk, and I have to stop and be like, "Okay, I gotta add some like qualifier to this dialogue so that people know who's talking." Because mm-hmm. I like distinct voices are way beyond me. I hate dialogue. <laughs> I mean, it's the hardest part, but gives it. It's the it, hardest part. It's the it's the the spice on top of the cake, right? Oh yeah, it's what really breathes life into you know any character that you that you add in, giving them a specific you know dialect or uh, certain ways that they approach situations or you know certain words that are just kind of uniquely their own. And that's really you know sort of what makes them. 
Right. I think part of it for me is like, okay, let's not be too stereotypical here. Like this guy, he's going to be a little Russian, but not completely Russian. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I, I used to have a lot of trouble with it, but like after a point, I think I had like a light bulb moment and then it just, it doesn't matter how bad I feel about it. It's just, I have to kind of relax into it and I just let people say things and it kind of, it, it's never correct, but that's the point. That's what makes a good dialogue is that people don't speak proper. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they, I see, I don't they have use contractions wrong and go on. I never have an issue with, oh my God, this person needs to speak like a proper person unless that's the character. What I keep running into is the big thing about, okay, how do I make sure this person sounds different from that person? They're from different sides of the galaxy or the solar system and they've never met before. They can't talk the same. They need to be different. Like we, the same way that we talk different from, you know, from people from England or whatever. Like that's where I really fall into into issues. Yeah, the kind of the setting word choice that way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe that's something I should look at more. Is just like, okay, this person is going to talk this way and then go from there instead of just trying to do it organically. Yeah. Yeah, I I would go back with like the world building and then build the structure of the setting and then figure out what people would say out of that in order to get that to work. Come on, our yeah. listeners know I don't plan. Come on. Just say, the, only reason, the only reason I'm 10,000 words in the past two weeks is that I abandoned all attempts at defining the world and I have just been writing. And what I've been running into a lot is I've got the narrator who is a first-person narrator speaking a lot and his friend who sees eye to eye with him a lot. And I am running into constantly the issue of the two of them are in a scene and they're both very similar characters and I can't make dialogue tags without specifying which one's talking because I have no way of differentiating them it's right now. It's time to kill one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Change it up. <laughs> Change it up a little bit. We talked you about know why thing. Michael Carpenter is so interesting? Because he's compared to Harry Dresden. The main it, character Michael would not work on his own. Right. Yeah. But like, also, if you were looking for an author who's really good at not using dialogue tags because he doesn't need them, it's Stephen Bruce. I know I talk about him a lot, but there have been pages and pages of just dialogue with absolutely no tags, and you're perfectly fine figuring out who's saying what. Have you guys read, um, it's a Hemingway story. No. Oh, what's the name of it? I think it's the name of it, but it's the two people talking in the quay in Italy or something. And... We read it in, I think it was 12th grade AP English, and there's a, it's like a five-page short story, and there's about three pages of straight dialogue, and about halfway through the story, you reach a point where you read two lines in a row that are separated by dialogue tags, but they had to have been spoken by the same person. <laughs> Like, huh? the only explanation is that Hemingway fucked up and these two people can't have said... Like, the line, the two lines had to have been spoken by the same person. It's the only way it works. And, like, I mean, we spent a month just analyzing dialogue. Just... Even Hemingway, when you have two people talking back and forth... It's tough. It's really, tough. It's hard mm -hmm. to do dialogue right, you know? Tough. So... With only just two people, it's much easier for me because sure. obviously just the breaks in that way works fine. But if I have like more and more people, I need to specify who's talking and that I feel like the description intrudes on the dialogue and just like it's, it's a struggle for me in that way. But what people are actually saying, that's not my problem. Not anymore because I just let it suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, just get it out there. Right. So is, is it one of those things where you feel like the dialogue descriptions take away from the story or helps the story? They almost always help, but there are times that I feel they break up the flow and I'm not good enough to get it right. Okay. Jeremy, what do you think? Well, my, my thought on dialogue tags is 
if you're reading the scene and it seems at all confusing, you should probably put a he said or she said or so and so said in there because most of the time readers are just going to look over it anyway. You're you're not even going to really read the fact that it was there, but it's it's there and you know as a reader and you're like, okay, this is what this person's saying. Now that goes back to the Hemingway thing. You may want to revisit what it is that you're doing to make sure that that character is distinct enough that they're speaking in their own voice, not just okay. I'm the writer, and I've kind of got my standard voice that I don't mean to, but I subject on every character, and then I'm putting this on all these different people. You know, you you don't want that sort of situation either. You want you want them to be their own person. You know, you want to breathe some life into them. You know, so I, I have no problems with dialogue. You can also break it up with actions. Actions are great. You know, in the middle of it, you know, they could they could always do something. That, you know, they picked up a glass of whiskey and took a sip. You know, whatever. You know. Yeah, that's usually what I end up doing, I think, is that they, they're doing something in breaking up yeah. their speech. I yeah. feel like that's cheating to avoid creating a, um actual voice. You're just using mannerisms to give you the example, to give you the opportunity to say who's, who's doing it. And, I mean, Does that mean it's wrong? No, oh, I'm completely <laughs> guilty of it, but it skips, <laughs> it skips the attitude of creating a distinct voice by letting you use actions to name who's speaking. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it works sometimes when character voices aren't necessarily distinct. Right, and I guess that'd be a question is, how many distinct voices do you need versus throwaway voices? Yeah. Um, Wait, is... Does Lieutenant John, <laughs> you know, who's in two scenes, need a distinct voice, or does he just need to be a throwaway character? <laughs> Your red shirt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're right there. <laughs> the guy's he's gonna die. <laughs> right. So, like, I suppose we can get onto the subject of how do you create a st- distinct voice? Well, some of it you can give your character like accents or a lisp, or they have a stuttering problem. That's gonna be very obvious. But in general, I think I like to keep in things like uh, lisps or stutterings because those come in also if just people are cold or anxious, and so they just like those can add flavor to the dialogue without making it like too distracting. Right. I mean, what, I know I've talked about this a little bit before, but one thing I like to do personally is create uh, strict grammar rules for the person. This person is always going to speak without contractions or will always contract or will always defer to a certain type of descriptor. So they're always going to use a proper noun versus a, you know, whatever. So that's how I like to build voices, just create grammar rules and just follow those rules. I think I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts or in something else, but um, like it was one of the things I had read about NCIS, the TV show, is that the character Ziva, when they brought her on, the thing she did being an Israeli migrant was she never uses English contractions. Because she, she's a new study to the language, and it's just not something she does. So to create her voice, she does not use contractions. Great. Yeah, and it's if character it's... character has a first language that's not English, then you can like bring in little bits of that, like saying a yes and no's or thank you. Sometimes you forget to say that in the other language if you're trying to speak a second one. So that might add in those, and also it adds flavor for the character. And if you are in a fantastical setting, you need to create that language just a little bit, or at least create what it sounds like in their grammar rules enough that you can fake it for the character. Using yes, no, thank you, you're welcome, like very, actually fully using the statements stands out as being highly formal sometimes. Oh, yeah. And like that alone tell kind of implies that the speaker is not a native speaker and just adds a touch of exhaust. Or you can use it to add a, a signifier for education or um, refinement, upbringing kind of thing. And what I'm actually doing with the character right now, I'm using a character that when you look at him, he looks like a brute. But when he talks, he talks refined. So it, it's this nice contra- you know, uh, comparison between th- thoughts versus reality for a person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, when you were talking about the character from NCIS, um, I, I'm guessing you're talking about Ziva. 
Yeah. Uh, she um, she also doesn't know <laughs> she doesn't know any English figure of speeches mm. American I should say American figure figure of speeches and that's another one of the jokes on the show is that she's yeah. always getting them incorrect so if you're yeah. working it directly with out dialogue tags just in a you know in a book you could you could easily set, have someone with getting a figure of speech completely wrong and you're like oh I know what character that is I don't even have to I don't even really need to you know a tag to say who it was yeah they'll use idioms and she'll be completely, like, she'll just take them literally and be completely baffled at what the yeah. hell you're talking about. Right, and it's not, a, it's not a book, but a great example of that is Guardians of the Galaxy with, um, oh, God, I cannot remember his name now. He's one of the guys who just cannot, he, he, he takes everything literally. Uh, Drax. Drax, yes, Drax, there you go. He's just like, it was my favorite. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good example of how to write that kind of character. <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Well, it's and one of the reasons I love the know. fairies in Dresden. It's like they have, take everything literally. So sarcasm is your not good friend. I love Tutu. too. Yeah. I, well, I had pizza for dinner, by the way. So, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I didn't share. Did you? No, none for, none for the Zaw Lord. Oh. <laughs> Or the Zalord's Guard or whatever. Like, I feel like you were just wasting the opportunity of giving pizza to fairies for for information if you're not. Oh, I know, right. Hey, man, if I if I knew some fairies I could give pizza to for information, I totally would. Like, like just for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I'm paying for the pizza. The, halfway through the pizza, I'm happy with the cost of it. I'm giving half a pizza to some fairies for some information. I'm good. But you have to know their full name, their correct name, and exactly how to enunciate it. If you want control, but I can bribe mm, them true. with pizza, and they're still. This isn't there. a Judson podcast. I have one of those. We can t- take this discussion there. Yeah, I've got chalk right here. <laughs> Ooh, but um, it's interesting about like uh, how to give people realistic words. A, a huge thing about it is swear words, and um, obligatory mention of Sanderson because I think he sucks at it. Yeah. Sparks. Ah, colors and storms is really just it doesn't sound right. The storms work in the context of Stormlike Art Archives just because of how negative the storms are. Until they're not. Until they're not, yeah. Like they get all of their power from storms that kind of puts them as a good thing, so why are you still using it as a curse word? It doesn't feel right. Even uh, No, no. Wait, wait, I actually have to talk to Alex about, Alex about this. Is So many of our English swear words are derived around God and his abilities. So yes. one, of, one of the but, strongest swear words, I mean, it, it's one of those, you know, basically automatic R in terms of movie ratings is God damn. So God will damn you to something. It is, it is, a, it is a swear word about power, not about power something bad happening in terms of the world or whatnot. Maybe, but I don't think Sanderson pulled it off because the, the storms are like a normal nuisance. They're not like, you know, God damning you to hell for all of eternity. And then they become a good thing until they become a bad thing again. It's just like, it didn't feel right. And he continually makes up new swear words to use for every single uh, little story or whatever. And that it's fine. It's his prerogative, but I think that it would be a bit more effective if you use some real swear words once in a while. His religion shows up most, I think, there. Yeah. What is but he? I, is he Mormon or something? Yeah. He is okay. Mormon. Yeah, that makes sense. He teaches at BYU. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. okay. I, did not know that. I was going to say, like, it's one of the things I've noticed on the radio driving to work when I think the one that stood up to me the most is the Offsprings, Why Don't You Get a Job? And they're happy with the intro of the song being my friend's got a girlfriend and he hates that bitch. Mm-hmm. And then halfway through the song that switches point of view and my friend's got a boyfriend and she hates that blank. Like they're too afraid to say dick. That on is strange. Radio. And then I, there's a different song that he'll say shit and whatnot in the song. But when he says God damn, they bleep out God. So you just hear bleep damn. And it's like what are we being stuck up on here? Yeah. Some I mean, of the language we... It's like, okay, if people, I don't can't relate to it at all, but people will feel more like 
assaulted, I guess, by goddamn instead of fuck you for whatever reason. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me, but no. then fine, you can use that. You can like uh, shy away from it if you don't want people to ever feel that way in your story, or you can use it effectively, which I think mm-hmm. that if you're making completely new swear words for every single one, if they're just random words like colors and storms, I mean, they're not fully random, but they're just everyday words that it, like it, he could be using things much more effective. So when like Dresden says, fuck you to Thomas, it's very funny. Yeah. Have, have any, any of you guys read, um, I can't remember the name of the writer who, who wrote it, but I, I recommend this 100%. The book is called Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing. No, but now I want to. It yes, is. Indeed. It's one of the best books ever, seriously. But she goes into and she breaks down the trifecta of swearing and there's the holy and she balances between this and the book. It's funny. The holy and the shit. The um, the words that are offensive because they have to do with the body, the ones that are offensive because they have to do with um, God or religion or and it's like one of the worst uh, one of the worst swears you could say in like the 16th century was by God's bones. Now, if you walked in the street and said that to somebody now, they would go, what the hell is this guy talking by God's bones? What the fuck? <laughs> but back then they thought by saying things like that, you could actually injure the body of Christ. That by swearing something like that, that, you know, I swear by God's bones that this is true, and then say you're, you know, you don't hold true to your oath, that that would injure the Christ himself. And, you know, it's it's how everything changes. And anyway, the book starts all the way from, like, ancient Rome and works all the way up to uh, modern times. And it's really interesting how that interplay happens between the holy and the shit as it goes along, so... Yeah. And everyone listening to this needs to take note, read that book, and use it in their world building. <laughs> Jeremy, it's yeah, it's, it's uh, really effective. Is that the book you're talking about? The one I linked? So, okay, since we're the, talking oh, about, like, cursing and stuff, like, what do you think about never using cursing? I think it works best depending on certain genres, like uh, younger genres, YA, mid-grade, young adult, maybe. Um but as you get more adult, I'm expecting adult language. Who's read Wheel of Time? I've read, mm, I've read who's, eleven. Who's books. fully? Who's okay? So at least five, six books of Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. Jacob, how far have you gotten? Uh, like twenty pages. This <laughs> was not my jam. <laughs> the The first book is a straight. The first two hundred pages of the first book is a straight Tolkien ripoff. But he makes it work. My other issue with Wheel of Time is the reader, because I don't read a lot. I listen for the most part. And the reader is the same woman from Codex Alera, and she's terrible. (laughs) Alex sent me the audiobook for the first one, and it was a male reader. Uh, Well, it splits. It splits the the parts from, like, Egwene and Nynaeve and, um, you know, and, like, uh, Moraine and all that. They they have a female narrator and then there's a male okay. narrator for all the guys. So it does it was kind of weird even when I was I was like what the heck we just changed narrators what the f is this? But he's definitely I don't I can't recall a moment in Wheel of Time where he uses a real word real world swear. No, but like his swears were actually like kind of okay with like he's a blood yeah. and ash was the biggest one right? Yeah yeah. yeah. Well, the, one of the okay. one of the big that, that you works. know like things I I think of and granted it's not a book but it's Firefly you know they they have their own set of swear words and when they use them they have meaning and power at least yeah. to me like Thor and it or I feel like Robert Jordan manages to avoid the like on one hand the Wheel of Time is not a children's series it's not a young adult series it is a full-fledged adult fantasy series but on the other hand he also avoids ever using actual real world swears he's he creates a broad enough picture to use swears in his own world that even before he uses the swears when you read them you still feel like oh shit he just said something serious there yeah, I think there's a, a certain difference in intention with some of them. Like, uh, blood and ash is like, those are genuinely negative things, and blood being a bad thing is like bloody, like the British say. And so it's just like, that felt fine. But I think there's also, like, if they're not saying fuck or shit or damn, maybe they're also using things that are the equivalent, like plow or sod. 
it, which is also much more British, but... Spot off. Like, yeah, they're not, like, insults to me, but, like, I get the intention, and they're the same intention. And that's the thing that Brandison's not doing. Are you it's, being uh, too realist, yeah. Alex? Like, you need something that's, like, close no, no, enough not. that... <laughs> kind of, it's like... Sanderson alone, I'm just pointing out examples of fantasy who do use non-real swears, but yeah, still get but... across. I can't say color you and make it sound like fuck you. <laughs> well, maybe you should. Warbreaker's a fun children's story. Warbreaker was fun. I think Warbreaker was actually my favorite of his. But it's still just not that the swear words so, did not. So may, maybe me. if you're developing new swear words, you should try to not just uh, swap them from one or the other. Create, um, create a new dialogue for how people are delivering those swear words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, that would uh, give you so more like, you know, buy the blank and the blank instead of fuck you or whatever. Are y'all Abercrombie fans by any chance? Joe, I am Bad halfway thing. through one book. What's oh. the first one? First well, blade. That, um, oh, the blade, blade itself. Yes, yeah, I read that one. That's it. Which, by the way, the Shattered Sea. Those, those are all, those are all great books. But the Shattered Sea, I think, absolutely trumps his first series. Big time, but that's that's a side that is completely a side note. But one of the things that uh, a set of characters call that is people pinks. Anybody that's not from uh, like Gurdjistan or wherever it is has light skin and they have a pinkish tint, and it becomes an insult. And this one character always calls everybody, comes up and go fucking pink, and that becomes an insult in itself, which is kind of a racial slur, you know, epitaph or, or, or wait, I'm getting those words backwards, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are things like that, too, you can use offensively to make a certain point in a situation, a, a certain slur, if you want to. Yeah, so. and it's like, it's, he's using a, a new word or phrase for the same old intention that everyone has used it for all of history of yeah. a racial slur. And also, I wonder if, like, the real world context of pinky being a bad thing because of communism, you know? It's like, there's also playing that in there. Was, was it wasn't pinko? Whatever. Calories. I didn't. I wasn't alive during the time. I just know it as a thing. Well, <laughs> I read history. I wasn't alive there either. But come on. Well, um, anybody who played Fallout Four, one mm-hmm. of the characters calls you blue. Yep. Because the place you come from, everybody wears blue jumpsuits. So everyone, so she just calls you blue all the time. And it's like there's no inherent connotation in that word. So. A little ways into the story, it's like it's not even a negative thing anymore. So like yeah, they just yeah. made up. So it there's no connotation to begin with. So having a friendly person call you blue all the time, eventually you just associate that with a nice, maybe not nice, but it's like there's no negative to it. So there's no pinko, there's no commie red, there's no anything. So I didn't mind being called blue. I do find it hilarious that our entire discussion is devolved into how do we swear at people. Well, it's very fun. It started with, you know, the stormlight, I guess. Colors. Yeah. I was originally intending to talk about and use this opportunity to get back to it. Like, when people are talking to each other and having a dialogue, if you say something that's outrageous or shocking, you don't always need to show the other character reacting in description. You don't need to show their eyes widening or the gasp of anything. But if you just say, Jesus Christ, and like they're obviously reacting to it, you're showing it while using fewer words. Mm-hmm. And that's- I mean, that's a tricky balance, right? Is sometimes you want to be able to portray it through the language, but other times you definitely want them, like you just, maybe depending on the scene, you know, you just need to have that oh my, this is how they feel at this point in the description of how they react bodily is more important than, than how they actually respond to it verbally. The, the different things, use them to your advantage. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. And, and, you know, you can always, you know, aside from, you know, cuss words we don't use and everything and things people are unfamiliar with and completely made up stuff that, you know, we can do. Um, there was a there's a writer named Mark Cotter that does like steampunk books and uh, I think it was either his first or second novel in the uh, Burton and Swinburne series 
he actually has one of the uh, ancillary characters you really gl- grow to like ends up getting killed by one of the one of the villains and the uh, the um, like sidekick of the group uh, Swinburne ends up yelling fuck over and over again and it is the only time in the series that that word is ever used and he's stabbing this guy in the chest while he's screaming it and I was like holy shit what is what is happening like seriously I was coming out of my skin because I was completely uninsulated for that sort of thing and it just out of nowhere it's just ugh, you know so <laughs> that can be effective too when you when you don't do it and your your readers are completely you know sensitized to it and then you're like oh I'm gonna fuck with you now and then give you something like that out of nowhere so yeah that, that is effective. exactly the kind of impact I was hoping to describe but I just couldn't think of anything off the top of my head that yeah. is perfect <laughs> I mean, in all of these things, it's just like, what do you want to, like, flavor the story that's going on? But that flavor is really, really important because, yeah, you can eat, like, basic feud cubes that don't have any uh, taste to it. But no one wants to do that just to get you to survive. But who cares? And especially if you're trying to get people to spend money on your book and you need that flavor and whichever one you give to it. But I, I also think that there is, like, a Venn diagram in writing in general of believability realisticness and entertaining and you don't get to have all three in dialogue you might be able to do it in other areas but not in dialogue yeah it might and it's kind of one of those funky things where especially for someone who mostly listens to uh books instead of reading them where i get trapped in the reader being able to deliver something uh this is it hit me really hard with um I'm getting some echo. But anyway, uh, we're really hard with uh, Ready Player One and Armada, which is two of my... Well, Ready Player One, I absolutely love. Armada's okay. But the reader did such a bad job delivering the dialogue that it actually tarnished the actual words that were being said. And so I wonder, like, is there, like, sort of an idea of being making dialogue so unique it might, like that you know it right off even if a terrible reader is reading it well just recently uh the audiobook i just finished was red shirts john scalzi like i finally got caught up on that but will wheaton's narrator will wheaton also did ready player one and armada um and oh he did armada too okay i got the actually got the book on that one um and i like will wheaton but he didn't really as a narrator did not have very uh, a very large palette of voices to choose from. It was like it was always Will Wheaton, if that makes any sense at all. And so it made it a little bit more difficult. But in Red Shirts, I think Scalzi did a good job with his characters. So I actually, even though the voice was pretty much the same, I felt like I was actually able to differentiate between who they were based on what they were saying a lot better. Now, if I read the book, I'm sure it would have been you know, even better. But, you know, you deal with that in narration sometimes. Interesting. I have to read that to see because that'll be a good like different differentiation because in Armada, the dialogue itself was so similar, and Will Wheaton delivered the voices so similar. It really felt like the same book. Oh yeah. Be, be, I mean, Grant, I love Ready Player One, but the dialogue is pretty terrible in the book. So. No, Armada was in a lot of ways felt like ready player one so mm-hmm. even even though i didn't read it so but then again you've got great narrators like uh uh who did the dresden books i'm sorry i can't remember off james the top. Marsters. james Marster. oh my gosh he's he's amazing he's great i mean you know he's got he has a voice for everybody and other than a few slips here and there he pretty much stays in character throughout the series especially so. after like the third or fourth book like once you yeah. start getting into like the later books yeah he's like the only he made me cry at work, man. I like get up, and, like go walk outside during <laughs> changes, like the the scene with Susan during changes. I'm like, oh god, I gotta get up and go. <laughs> like, I like walked outside and still listen to. They re-recorded. I think it was Ghost Story. Ghost that he Story. Yeah. yeah, he re-recorded. Yeah. And he's so he was so popular that they re-recorded Ghost Story to make sure that they had an unbroken chain of him narrating Dresden. Yeah. yeah. I, I heard that book by the other narrator, and I was like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, I picked it up on, like, a, you know, <laughs> not exactly a, uh, you know, official place. And I was like, what the hell is this? I'm going back to Audible. I'm just downloading it's the right one. sad, some crap. But, like, I'm sure the guy wasn't a terrible narrator. I mean, I listened no, to he was, Ghost he Story. He was a good narrator. 
He was a good narrator, but he was the voice of Dresden for, what, 10 bucks? Like, it's... I should listen to Dresden. This is the first time I've actually wanted to listen to audiobooks, because I never do, because I do like reading. But just James Marsters reading Dresden is so popular that I have to. And I'm a weird person. I mean, this is way off topic, but I'm a weird person because I actually really, really like the way he read Stormfront. I actually love that. Like, it's my favorite performance he does. He gets a lot better in terms of overall performances, but my favorite reading of the Dresden Files is the one in Stormfront. <laughs> he, he sounds like he's out of breath the entire time, though. He's like, ah, he so, met Murphy at the scene. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, he just, he, I, to me, he captures that very noir feeling that I thought Dresden was he going really for. Does. You know, the, the hard-boiled detective gumshoe kind of thing, which I absolutely love, so. But anyway... <laughs> We're, we're talking about how you convey this without word, without the speaker. Like, well, I, I've never thought of like working my writing around the possibility of a shitty reader from an audiobook because I, I, I'm not finished with it, so who cares? Well, right, but, but maybe, maybe if you think about who who could be reading it, it will shape the dialogue to make it more dynamic. Absolutely. Or just thinking of someone in general reading it. Right, exactly. So if you have a voice in your head. Because what I will do sometimes is if I'm like aiming for a particular style, I'll actually listen to part of Dresden or Ready Player One or another audiobook to get that voice in my head, and then I'll start writing. And I'll try to write it in that voice that's still rolling in my head. Absolutely. That's always a that's always a good idea because I mean it helps you shape the character as well. You know, because I mean characters aren't just you know the the clothes they wear, or what they look like, their quote unquote backstory. You know that every all of that permeates into them. And you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, if there's somebody that's you know really intelligent or has maybe gone to some sort of higher education, you know, they're going to speak differently than some you know guy from bumfuck Egypt, you know, in the middle of nowhere, just like, hey, what's going on? I hate, or, you know, from South Georgia, you know, whatever. But Egypt. Yeah, I, I want to play with accents, actually. It just reminded me thinking of southern accents. Uh, I the, the military story is more like a, a pan-national military thing. So I have people from tons and tons of different countries, and they're all speaking English because of, of simplicity, but... They're all going to have different accents. I have no idea what those actually sound like. So it's getting kind of weird and hard sometimes about that. Well, and the, one of the cool things you could do if you decide you want to actually go down that road is say, look, you, you, can, you can use it to build you know, backstory for a character to say, okay, so let's say the Swedish and the English became one nation at some point. So you could have this really weird sort of Swede or... English dialect or German English or whatever. So like, it's especially when making the stories, it's really easy to like say, "Oh, I'm gonna just give this person three accents and create a whole new one." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's easier, but whatever. Maybe it works. <laughs> I didn't for say you, it was easier. I, I just said it might be more fun. You mean when IKEA <laughs> took control of the United States and they they rewrote our name, our uh, lingua franca? You know. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, this is. Um, to plug another podcast, but um, for creating voices, I would highly suggest people listening to the Mark Hamill episodes of Fat Man on Batman. It's a Kevin Smith podcast. And he talks about how he creates, because he's been a voice actor basically since he quit doing Star Wars, and how he creates unique oh. voices for every character. And it's a fantastic interview. It's like three hours, but it's totally worth your time. But he talks about how he just picks from here, 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 and here, and here. And does terrible impressions, and that creates this whole new voice. And so that's <laughs> something we we can use as writers. To be like, well, let's just take this idiosyncrasy from the, you know, the Southern Belle, and then just add that with a Valley Girl, and see what happens. <laughs> you know, you can have an interesting part, result. Yeah, I suppose part of my problem is I just don't know what these. I mean, because I don't know what these accents sound like, I can't hear them in my head, so I can't like add in the sounds in the dialogue of how they'd be saying it. Like, uh, I never say y'all in my dialogue, even though I might have a character that uses it. I never say it. I never say y'all in real life, and I'm from Alabama. I say y'all all the time. I'm from Texas, and I say it all the time. I say it in my work emails. 
<laughs> I say it, and I'm from northeastern, from the northeast. Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking about that character I have from the northeast, which she's supposed to have a really strong accent. I have no idea what that actually. Like, it, I can't generate it in my head, so she doesn't she, have one on paper. She would say, she'd say y'all. Really? She'd so, say y'all Boston you. accent, like. Like, we use it because we hear it a lot, but we still say it the way we say it, so it still sounds wrong. But we're still going to say it, because it's just, it's a great word. It covers everything. <laughs> it's a great word, yes. What's going on, y'all? Y'all want a bagel? I mean, just like, y'all, or you all, or hey, everybody, how's it going? What do you, y'all, come on. I just, just think Northeast accent, I just think anybody on Family Guy, if I want to do that, you know, I'm just... <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. That's about the way it goes. Okay, that's that's easier. I'll uh, not gonna. Deny. Guess I'll watch some Family Guy. Oh, and I if you want to get some, you know, you know, text, you know, especially West Texas accents, you get some uh, Family Guy going on. Not Family Guy. Uh, crap, Hank Hill. What am I looking for here? Uh, oh yeah, uh, King, King of the Hill. Hill. King of the Hill. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah, oh, yeah. Doing it, Bobby. That show is so good. It's <laughs> so good, but it's actually the accents are actually really similar from someone who grew up in Texas. So, <laughs> when it comes to accents, what did people think of uh, Spook's accent in Mistborn? Oh, uh, Leftaborns. Yeah. Oh, that was very strange. Okay, uh, anyone who hasn't read Mistborn, so there is a character who speaks like this weird, broken, almost English, because he like transposes words in a very strange way. Like his Wasn't name is- Wasn't the a... place where I was young. Wasn't yeah, the it... rock to come and be without the stay. Like Was the knotting of the wanting or whatever. It's, yeah. it's very strange. But there's, it seems like, like a, a grammar was... rule accent. Like someone's gonna make a rule no, for yeah. how he talks. And so- Yeah. It, it was a slang that was like based on using Okay, okay, I'll try to explain it. There's a, a scene when they were finally describing his backstory. The name that he was going by was Lestaborns. And it's, uh, he'd basically been abandoned by his family. So when he sold his new name, as like his new alias, basically, to the person, there was a description of uh, Lestaborns meant left I'm born, meaning I've been abandoned. And so that kind of clued me into to how the fuck he's talking. But, like, he tries, like... I know we rag on Sanderson a lot because he is popular and he does a lot of things well, but he does a lot of things also not well. He's but perfect. It's, it's so flagrant an accent that just like it doesn't work because of how much attention he draws to it. What kind of like Yoda? I mean, yeah. think about that. That's kind of like one of those things. It's always every word is like completely out of order. It's like Yoda works only in the sense that nobody asks him why he's speaking that way. People constantly <laughs> ask Spook, like, why are you speaking like an idiot? And he's like, oh, it's just the dialogue I have. It's like, okay, that just doesn't make sense. Like, you sound like an idiot. But nobody <laughs> asks. Brain injury asks. I have. <laughs> <laughs> there was a book series by Torin Kerr. Wait, no, Tanya Huff. Torin Kerr is the main character. Um, and it's futuristic, spatial, galactical thing. And there's a basically space marines, and there is a race of like Alpha is the emperor, <laughs> like four foot high cat people, and they're very uh, bitchy and catty. But they learn galactic. <laughs> You're really cat people or bitchy and catty, just like cats. Yeah. Oh, that's a <laughs> stretching the muscles there. Yeah, there's one character that is very consistent from them, and she's kind of entertaining in the bitchy catty way, but. Uh, the entire race, when they learned English, basically, they refused to adhere to its really stupid grammar rules. So they only use the word are as an A-R-E for anything that means being. So they're very broken, and they're just like, really stuck up about it. But every now and then, the way that she normally speaks that way causes her to speak grammar correctly, and it's kind of shocking in, in a weird, funny way. It was a grammar rule as an accent that kind of worked because it's hmm. not a very serious series. That's interesting. I'm sure there's probably some of that in, um, I mean, if you dug through, speaking of not very serious and nonsensical stuff, any of the Douglas Adams stories, I'm sure there's uh, some of that in there. I mean, I'm positive. I can't think. I mean, there was a restaurant that traveled through space, so, you know, whatever. 
Oh, the the Vogons had a very distinct way of speaking. I, I can't like I I can't think of exactly how it was off the top of my head, but they definitely had a very distinct way of speaking when you read you the like book. My poetry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That was the closest I, well, one of the closest I ever came to like wrecking a vehicle is I was listening to Douglas Adams on audiobook. And I was just laughing so hard listening to Hitchhiker's Guy that I damn near wrecked my truck. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't mention dialogue inspiring in a novel without getting to Malazan because I've mentioned this before. Need a counter. Okay, Every time you mention Malazan, yeah. But he uses Malazan is a world where the gods are very permeable, and part of it is that some of the gods depend upon worship, and the more they worship, the more power they have. And a lot of the swears in the Malazan world are swears upon gods body parts and the more ironic the body part is to the nature of the god the more of a better swear it is <laughs> so like the god of death they like to curse on his balls <laughs> so the god of death is hood so the most common I think the most common swear in the whole book is hood's balls every time something goes to shit they're just like ah oh, fuck hood's balls <laughs> but at the same time, you know things get serious because every, I mean, very rarely, and more on as the series goes on, he'll start dropping the f bomb, and it's like they'll curse Hood's balls, they'll curse Fenrir's tusks and whatnot, and then you know shit's real when they just stop, they look around and I'm like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, I feel like the same thing was happening in Dresden. Like, he's kind of yeah, much more, like, when, uh, Dresden, conservative about it. Yeah, when Dresden swears, and a swear that you know in real life, you know Dresden's serious. No, yeah. Unless he's telling oh, Thomas to fuck off, which and, I love. Well, he, he's pretty damn serious when he's telling Thomas to fuck <laughs> off. But it's, sort like, of. it's a, it takes the right series of books, but when you've got the space to do it, and you've got the background to do it, and you can curse extraneously without using real life curses real life curses suddenly become that much more powerful it's, oh, yeah. it's a fun tool to read but at the same time it's a PG-13 tool to use <laughs> and I suppose like there should be a comment about the usage of real life scores like if people really don't like reading goddamn and they really will like stop reading your book because you used it that is something you're going to have to decide on as an author or creator and someone who's trying to get someone to buy shit. People care about goddamn. Right. Well, that's actually because uh, my main story, Corlex, I would actually like my mother to be able to read. So I'm not going <laughs> to use goddamn. But my new story I'm starting, I'm just like going all like balls out for everything. Like fucks, the whole bit. You know? yeah, Extre it's yeah, extremely explicit in every every which way. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna—I was gonna say on that particular on GD specifically. Like, I mean, I grew up in Alabama. They, like, that's just something you do not say. I mean, you say that, and that means that you blaspheme the Lord and yada yada yada. You're going to hell, and there's no, you know, and it th there's a lot that goes into that. And actually, that other book I mentioned go, uh, goes into that whole subject a little bit. But there's one time in my last book that I wrote uh, that I actually used that, and it's at a very critical moment. And it's kind of jarring because of the fact that that is the only time in the book that it is said because the captain screams it at this guy. And it's like, whoa, whoa, shit. Okay, this, you know, shut up, listen to what I'm saying. So, yeah. Should we just plug Holy Shit, A Brief History of Swearing by Melissa Moore again? Yes, that is it. That book is awesome. <laughs> I, I've, I ordered it since we started this podcast. <laughs> uh, I've got a... It's not something I've read before, but it's something I've studied in depth. But I've got a Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero of a Thousand Faces on the desk behind me right now. I've never read it as a study, but I've read it as a class topic. So, history of shit, 
That's true. I just I thought of something as you're mentioning that you're from Alabama again. I was thinking the Southern colloquialisms is like maybe they're not saying you're a moron, but if they say "Oh, honey," it means a lot more than Northerners might think it means. Oh yeah. It does. Oh yeah. I mean, it's or, like uh, "Oh, bless your heart." Bless your heart. Uh -huh. I was about to say that's, that's the big one. Is "Oh, bless your heart." <laughs> that means "Oh my God, you're stupid." <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless their heart. <laughs> Or, of course, at any Waffle House, it's always like, hey, sweetie, how you doing today? <laughs> yeah. Just fine. You're not coming on to me. It's okay. I get it. It's cool. Uh, I, I spent so many hours in college at a Waffle House in Longview, Texas. Oh, yeah. That's a good place to be. Oh, good yeah. place to be. <laughs> so, like, if uh, it's something... Uh, I guess passable like that. It's like, oh, honey, it's like you're just being nice, right? Like, no, I'm calling you a moron. You can use those types of uh, situations and uh, translation errors to your advantage in writing things because you can tell the reader what it means before the character knows it, and that's funny. Yep. So, do, well, do, go well, ahead. No, well, that was that just reminded me of the thing. There's a thing in red shirts. It's a it's a running gag that comes up about giving a uh, a, a hand job, a blow job, and a fuck. Anyway, it has to do with favors, and later on, this Red guy's like a lot more PG. <laughs> well, it's it's like this joke having to do with like these levels of favors, but you don't actually do the act. But uh, you know, later on in the book, of course, you know, one of the characters says something. This isn't necessarily a swear, but it's like that whole inside reference you can work into swears or figures of speech or anything in dialogue where it's like. <laughs> You know, you can say, oh, later, like, oh, okay, well, you know what? After you did that for me, I totally owe you a blowjob. And they're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> Never mind. So do you ever run into the issue of trying to make sure every word means something instead of just like, you know, sometimes dialogue is just dialogue. Sometimes a cake is just a cake, to quote Star Trek. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you're trying to do with it. I mean, obviously. Right, but... I mean, I, I feel like there's so many things we want to do with dialogue and something I, I struggle with is like sometimes I'll get paralyzed writing the words because I'm trying to make sure they're the right tense or the right dialect or the right slang or whatever that I ended up just not writing. So is there any, do y'all have anything, do you ever run into that problem or have ways to get over that kind of problem? I'm struggling in my new story to, first of all, I don't write first person often, so everything from first person point of view is a little awkward, but at the same time, it's supposed to be a little more black company style where it's a, like every section is kind of a narration of things that happened that day, and a lot of times it's like he's telling it from the point of view of it was almost present tense because it just happened so I'm like stopping mid-sentence and shifting words to either not be first person present or to be a little less past tense it's actually kind of miserable yeah, well it's difficult in first person to begin with sometimes when you when you are writing in first person uh, past tense because the whole thing is like one long bit of dialogue I mean honestly it's like that the main character just sitting down there and just being, you know, interrogated the entire time. So you, you mm. cut it to dialogue and it's like, oh, now we got to go present tense. We got to shift this. And then, oh, now it's back to me telling someone the story of this. So, you know, and that journal, can be a little bit of a challenge. Journal in particular is hard because, like, he's telling what just happened. So he's telling it in past tense. But it just happened. So he's not like, the whole thing's not in past tense. He's kind of describing feelings in real time, but things already happened. Right. I, I've run into that that issue with other stories where I'm like, you're doing. You feel like you're doing this great job of describing something. And you go back and like, wow, I just you know dialogue dump for forty thousand words. <laughs> <laughs> I can pump up forty thousand words of dialogue, even if it sucks. I'd be happy. I'll tell you, the opposite is almost harder than that. The story I'm working on right now only has two living characters, so um, and one of them is two years old, so it gets very challenging on dialogue, let me tell you. I, like, I like using dialogue as just a reason to expand my word count. <laughs> 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 it's just like, okay, so 
something's happening, these two characters are going to explain it, and there's a thousand, two thousand words. Perfect. Going to move on. I'm happy. Two Am I going to be happy when I beta read that for you? I mean, I can send it to you. See, I run well, to the other my side. Shit anyway. I know. I mean, the story as a whole, I'm not terribly happy with, but I'm happy I've gotten where I am in it. It's got a lot of revision to do. See, I'm the opposite side of that, where I'm just like, oh, these guys haven't talked in a long time. They should probably say something now. You know, that's what I run into. You start worrying that they don't have enough lines, like they're actors, and you have to pay them. You know, it's for kind, every yeah, scene kind that of, in. yeah. I mean, that's a good <laughs> way to was, put it. I was just reading. Um, there was a list on Reddit of um, actual errors in the Wheel of Time. And one of them was a scene, and I think it was book nine, for anyone who's read it, The Winter's Heart, when Rand cleanses Satan. And part of it is he's got all these, I said I with him, who help him cleanse it. And there's a specific one who is not mentioned. She's mentioned as part of the group who comes, but her role in the cleansing isn't mentioned. And people caught it. And asked Robert Jordan, and he just basically said, I meant to mention her in passing of what her role was, and I forgot to. And it's like, people catch these things. <laughs> yeah, they really and do, it, and it's kind of terrifying, isn't it? <sighs> well, that's it, something, because another podcast I do is Great Scott, which is all about the, the TV show The Office. And we dissect that show, like, really, like, hardcore. It's <laughs> so, like... I, one of the things I want to ask these writers, like, did you ever expect this to happen to your writing? He has no wallet. I already checked. Do what? He has no wallet. I already checked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a, a Justin Faust podcast. We have almost 30 episodes spanning over, what, two years now? We have dissected quite a lot. There's still a lot to dissect with Dresden. I know. I'm so happy. <laughs> I get to keep going. But to be fair, like, uh, Wheel of Time podcast could go on forever. Oh my the god! Series finished, and Wheel of Time could. Finally you could go you on. know, there's so much to be said about that series, but I feel like honestly, you could cut about forty percent of what he wrote, and it would still be just as good. Because there is so much of just like, okay, we talked about makeup for like three chapters. I don't care. How many Come on, chapters? Let's go blow some stuff up with the true source. Let's let somebody get stabbed by a poison blade that makes them get all fat and. Bloated and die. How and many, how many chapters did Nemev uh, tug in her braid? Oh, I know, right? That right there is enough. It's like, like stick her at the bottom of the river. Let's do that again. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, sticking her at the bottom of the river didn't actually stop her. She it's some of the sa yep. same level, but some of the speeches in um, Atlas Shrugged, especially from uh, John Galt, she's like, oh my god, it's like so, 13 pages. I haven't read Atlas Shrugged. My book. I actually bought Atlas Shrugged at the used bookstore in Bookline. That was like, I don't think it was signed, but it was like a used copy and fantastic because Bookline's a great place to get books. And I lent it to my brother, who works at MIT, who had been reading Noam Chomsky, and wanted to read some Ayn Rand. And he read the whole book. He's mostly a liberal, and. Everything John Galt says is completely retarded. <laughs> like, she spends page upon page narrating her political views, and it's just not the way it works. Ever. That's probably why my dad has been trying to get me to read it for quite a while. So. It, yeah, it's, it's great, and I'm more right center, but I mean, it's, it's a fun book. Yeah, she does get a little. I mean, it is almost 2,000 words. I mean, it's a book-slash-murder weapon. So, <laughs> it's pretty tense, but it's worth the read. If you, especially if you want a good, like, someone who actually does dialogue really well. She does, like, the character dialogue pretty well, I think. If you want to be convinced on political points of view, don't read that one. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's for funsies. Though, I mean, he put it, my brother put it next to his Noam Chomsky books, and, like, if you're going to just take a physical battle between books, she's got him beat. <laughs> Things are fucking club. <laughs> like I said, it's a, it's a book slash murder weapon. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
So do, do we want to hit any... dialogue? Do what? All right. Do you have anything else to say on dialogue? I'm thinking. Does anyone, just as a general question, have good, great examples of well done dialogue? Justin Faust. <laughs> he balances between. Dresden does have, you know, Butcher does do very good with dialogue, but I, I don't think there's ever any any example in Dresden of poor dialogue. Mm-hmm. See, most yeah. most of my yeah. things for good dialogue would be games or movies. Honestly, I think um, depending on the situations, um, Martin does decent dialogue, like. All of his dialogue has a general sense of archaic speech to it. But at the same time, a lot of his dialogue, the characters speak like they're speaking in the time period they're speaking in. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he never breaks genre with his dialogue, even if he never really creates distinct voices for characters. That makes sense. I haven't read a whole lot of Martin yet. I'm behind. You probably won't read too much before he dies. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a whole backlog, right? <laughs> He's not going to live to write. <laughs> well, and you know, there's one other thing, too. It's not just about dialogue. It's about communication. I mean, that's really what dialogue is ultimately about. And uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of dialogue in it. But um, I, I recently listened to the uh, audiobook on uh, Life of Pi, on, you know, the tiger on the boat and the kid who grew up in a zoo from India. And that book has very little dialogue, but there's a whole lot of communication that happens. Because, I mean, he's on the boat with the tiger. I mean, the tiger's not really going to be that much for conversation. But um, there's a whole lot of interplay that goes along with that. And I think you can weave that in, especially, you know, not being lazy, but talking about like, like actions and things like that, to uh, say more than words. Because it's not always about, you know, what it is that you say. It's about what's unsaid. It's the same, even, even what you describe in your book, it's not about what you what you show it's about just you know kind of like what's that what's that box in the corner that nobody's talking about you know it's the same sort of thing you can even have that in a in a conversation there can be that sort of black box in the corner that everybody keeps dancing around no matter what it is that they're saying and it they just kind of barely keep avoiding talking about the you know the elephant in the room so that's important as well i just remembered uh, a rule i was hoping to mention and i kind of forgot earlier when I was talking about people don't speak proper, I was actually trying to get to a certain thing. And it was something I learned from Jim Butcher when he was talking about how he writes. And when he does dialogue, he says, uh, keep it five words or less. And he was talking to basically a student about that. And she mm-hmm. says, but what, people don't speak like that. It's like, yes, they do. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Nuh-uh, uh-huh. And so they didn't notice that every time they were talking it was five words or less. And so they keep it shorter when people actually have to move their mouth because they don't want to do it. Absolutely. One of the things I've started picking up from Black Company is even his narrative sentences are fragmented sentences. Like some of his sentences just just cut out half the prose. And it's just like, we did this, they did that. Yep, that was cool. Yep, we did that. And it's like, this is the narration. They're not talking, it's just we're moving on. Like he tells his story in fragmented bursts and it, it works because you know it's a narrated style but at the same time like this is the way people communicate information we just tell you the words we, you need to know right Absolutely. and so it gives that sort of realistic feel yeah who wants to have a lecture in the middle of their book you know, you know how it is. I'm Rand, apparently. I, there's a uh, oh, Thomas uh, Thomas Covenant series. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that fantasy series, uh, Dodson or Donaldson or something like that. Anyway, my my father was he's a huge fantasy fan, and he's huge into this guy. And I tried to read the first two books of the series, and he gets to these characters, and Tolkien did this too, where it's like the character has to tell through dialogue every million things that happened for the past whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like okay, seriously. Give us a flashback or something. I don't want to sit here like we're at a campfire and you explain everything that happened. I mean, this should be a conversation at this point. So, Thomas Covenant is famous for that. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. It's like 15 pages of somebody telling a story. I'm like, ah. <laughs> it's a good author who manages to tell you page upon page of backstory in a page. 
and fits it all in and you understand what's going on. Use your words wisely. Yes. Five words or less. I like that. It makes sense. Yeah. It's like when you watch people and listen to how they talk in general settings, they pretty much stick to it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Are we done? Should we close? Should we plug all our stuff? <laughs> sure. All right. Jeremy, plug all your stuff, add in where we can buy everything and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to check out what I'm up to, uh, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter, J-F-M-A-U-L-D, J-F Malden. At, well, actually, actually, I guess it's just J.F. Malden. I'm saying my Facebook thing, whatever. And uh, my website, jfitzpatrickmalden.com. And, you know, I've got my book, Final Solution. It's hard science fiction. It's cool. So there you go. All right. Do you have Twitter? Uh, yeah, uh, J.F. Malden. That's where I do most stuff on Twitter, honestly. Okay. I'll do things with that. Um, and then we have all broken jars. Uh, we have this one, High Fantasy. We have Dresden Files, which you've mentioned. We have Great Scott, oh, wow. which you've also mentioned. <laughs> and, uh, 4-2 Entertainment's coming back tomorrow uh, We've been off for a month But we're coming back to bring you all Just the random shit we like to talk about And uh, Dangerous to Go Alone And we have mm. Shylock's Gaming Which and... may or may not be continuing From what I understand But that's a whole other thing But still, we have gaming stuff if you like games Yeah, and uh, Andreas has his own Twitch streaming uh, Lord Batty and you can watch Andreas play a bunch of things. Uh, <laughs> I think that's everything, right? Just... Pretty much, yeah. You can find oh, me uh, uh, at Jacob Ingalls on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on that, especially during college football season. Um, so, Pay yeah, hit me up there. Uh, broken Jars Broadcasting at gmail.com. High Fantasy at Broken Jars at XYZ. Uh, yeah, so we can just. Talk to us if you want free video games. We'll give you free video games because we have a tiny build sponsorship, which is awesome. Those guys are great. If you have uh, topics, let us know. We'll yeah. talk about them. If you want to be them. on the show, just let us know. We'll probably consider it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, no matter oh, where I'm you are. I'm verbally shaming you on the podcast what? to read my shit. <laughs> I wrote shit this week. Read mine. All right, we're done. <laughs> But look at the bright side. If you're listening to this podcast, you can say, I remember when they were just this terrible podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so wherever right, you are, shit, I hope fuck. you're having a good morning, good night, good shit, evening, shit, whatnot. Shit, fuck. Have a good one, everybody. Say bye. Everybody say bye. 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 bye.